I have a confession to make this morning, and that is that uh, I was raised in a musical home. I myself am not all that musical, but I was raised in a musical home. In fact, I was raised in a very specific type of musical home. In fact, my parents would have been proud to tell you that they raised me and my brother and sisters on both kinds of music, country and western. That's right, that's my, my confession to you today is that I was raised in a home uh, of country music. And now, uh, while I do not confess to uh, listen to it much anymore, I do have a deep respect for country music. It's just, it's just way deep, way down there deep. And so, uh, the reason though that, I, that I, I, I have that respect for country music so much is actually because my dad was a professional musician in a country music band. In fact, his claim to fame, and one that I probably talk about more than he does, is that he toured with this guy. Okay, for those of you, and, and for Resonate in particular, this is a guy named Johnny Cash. He was a famous musician. And, uh, uh, but Johnny Cash here is, uh, is hosting a television show, and this guy right here, Playing stand-up bass is my dad. And uh, the band was called Brush Arbor. And Brush Arbor, they, they sang a song that he's about to play here uh, that was their, their most famous song. It's called Brush Arbor Meeting. And, and in that, that song, there's a line in it, a line that, that I pondered a lot growing up. Because this is a song that I probably heard at least once a week for the first 14 years of my life. Okay, uh, this is a song, I still know every word to this song. And there's a line in here that's going to launch us today. And I want you to hear it after Johnny introduces my dad's band. So here you go. Right now the new and exciting Brush Arbor. Just praising the Lord and shouting victory, I can still There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. This is what we're going to talk about today. We want to talk to you about the wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus. Now, as I thought about that song growing up and thought about those lyrics, um, it, it struck me as a little strange, to be honest. I, I had questions about that. I was a kid who asked lots of questions. And so I'm sure I asked these questions of my parents and I bugged them to no end. My kids are doing the same to me now, so it's even. But I, I asked questions about this. That I, I wanted to know why is it that, the, that we sing so many songs about blood? Why is there a song about blood that we sing? In fact, the first time I heard this song at a church service, I thought we were singing a Brush Arbor song. I didn't realize that this was an old hymn and that there's a tradition of hymns and of songs that are sung about the blood of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that we do that and we sing songs about blood because the Bible talks a lot about the blood of Jesus. And so today, I really want to ask the question, a very important question, and that is, what is this wonder-working power that is in the blood of the Lamb. 
What does it do and how does it work? You see, in the Bible, blood does a lot. In fact, in the book of Acts, it's, it's blood that has purchased you. In, in Ephesians and Colossians, it has redeemed you. Uh, in Romans, it has justified you. In, in Colossians, it, it's what makes peace between you and God. And in, in Hebrews, it sanctifies us. There are 43 different references, specific references to the blood of Jesus in the New Testament. Now, that's interesting, especially to modern sensibilities, because for us, blood is often a sign of weakness and of death. And here, the Word of God portrays blood as the sign of victory, that it is in the blood of Jesus that we find victory, that we find power. But I don't know if you realize how backwards this is. You know, there, uh, there was a movie I saw a while back. Uh, it's called Iron Man 2. And, and, and so in a popular movie, uh, there's, a, there's a, the, the bad guy is Ivan Venko. And now he's talking about Iron Man, and Iron Man was seemingly invincible, and he says this phrase about Iron Man. He says, if you could make God bleed, people would cease to believe in him. I thought, wow, that's interesting. If you could make God bleed, people would cease to believe in him. That's what he thought about Iron Man. And I thought, that sounds kind of true to our ears, except for Jesus. Because apparently, the, the God of the Bible is the God who does bleed, and it's because he bled that billions of people believe in him today. And it is because he bled that something has changed, that something is different in us. This is where the power comes from. And now, to understand why that is, though, I want to take you to one passage in the book of Romans. And this is in Romans chapter 3. I'm going to have this up on the screen here. It, the verse says this. God presented Christ. He presented Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Okay, now, uh, on the surface, this, this is, a, is a pretty straightforward verse. God is the one acting, and he is presenting Jesus as something. Now, this phrase, a sacrifice of atonement, may be a little, a little more confusing, but what we do know is that this sacrifice happened through the shedding of his blood, which we know is on the cross, and all of that is to be received by faith. But this phrase here, a sacrifice of atonement, is an important phrase. It actually is just one word in the Greek Bible there. It, it, the word is hilasterion. And fortunately for us, that word hilasterion is a direct reference to something in our Old Testament. It's actually a, a reference to a very specific ceremony that happens in the book of Leviticus. And in the book of Leviticus, what, what happens is this ceremony called the Day of Atonement. And in the Day of Atonement, some very important things happen and blood is involved. And so if we understand what's going on there, I think we're going to be able to understand what's happening here a lot better. And now, before we get to Leviticus, I want to take you to a, a quick little tour of the 
dwelling places of God. Because what we find in Leviticus is that that, that, that specific ceremony is about, is about these dwelling places, about two very important dwelling places that God has had. See, what, what, what we find throughout Scripture is that, that God has chosen to make his home here on earth in a, a few very specific ways. In fact, uh, I want to bring up four of those ways that God has decided to enter into this world in a unique way, where, where, quite literally, heaven, God's realm, collides with earth, which is our realm. Now, we celebrated one of those uh, the last few weeks. In fact, uh, just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated this, that the, the word became flesh, that, that deity became humanity and made his dwelling that this was a dwelling place among us, and that happened in Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. This is what we celebrate in Christmas, is that, that divinity and humanity have collided in the person of Jesus. And this was unique, and this was special. But it wasn't the first time that God made his dwelling here on earth. In fact, if you're taking notes, it was the fourth time. The God-man Jesus was the, the fourth time that God made his dwelling on earth. The first one is found in the first few pages of the Bible, and that is in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, uh, God created a perfect paradise where he interacted, where he talked, and he walked with the, the first humans. And that was all fine and good until they ate that silly fruit, right? When sin entered in the world, that that could no longer be a dwelling place where divinity and humanity would be able to coexist. And so it would be a long time before God would choose another dwelling place for himself. And that came in, in this, this kind of mobile tent that God had set up. It was called the tabernacle. Okay, in, in Exodus, you can read about the, the tabernacle. And what it was was really a mobile dwelling place that, that followed the people of God as they traveled through the desert. And, and this seemed all well and good to God to be in a mobile dwelling place until David and Solomon decided that they wanted to build a more permanent structure and that they called the temple. Now, these are the, the four dwelling places that I want to highlight today. And I want to point out something very important about these. And that is that, that these two... The tabernacle and the temple are very different than these two, the garden and the God-man. You see, the, the, the garden, in the garden and, and in Jesus, divinity and humanity dwelled together with no conflict. They were made for that. It's actually these other two, the tabernacle and the, and the temple, that's actually what that that sacred ceremony in Leviticus is all talking about. Because what we find is that you had to be very careful about the way that you interacted with the divine. In fact, you had to be careful about how you did it, about who did it, and about when you did it. Otherwise, you could, it would be very, very dangerous for you and for everyone. When Paul talks about this sacrifice of atonement, that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, this is the very thing he's referencing here. He's referring to this ceremony, but what we learn about that is that whatever, the reason that, that, 
that this ceremony existed is, the, is this. Whatever is stained by sin must be cleansed before it can house unadulterated, pure deity. It's got to be cleansed. See, that's why there's this special ceremony for the tabernacle and the temple. That there wasn't any ceremony for Jesus or for the, the garden. And apparently, if, if, if it is not cleansed, then really bad things happen. Okay, notice with me in uh, Leviticus 16, verse 2. Uh, tell your brothers, God tell, says to Moses, says, tell your brother, tell your brother Aaron, that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Now, I want you to notice something here, though. That God is giving this instruction to Moses because he does not want people to die. He wants to give them instructions so that they will live. He doesn't want them to die. This is not God saying, if you don't do this, I will kill you. This is God saying, for your protection, don't enter. Because God knew something that we don't. And that is that God, in all of his pure goodness and deity would completely overwhelm sinners like us. In fact, if you remember in Exodus 33, uh, Moses says, I want to see God. And God quite plainly tells him, no. He says, no one can see me and live. What God is saying to Moses is that I'm too much for you. You couldn't take the pure presence of all of my goodness. It is just too much for sin-stained humans to bear. What God is saying is that he's just too great for us. See, there's this idea that has gone around in Christian circles, and I've heard this, I hear it from people every so often, and it goes something like this. It, it says that, that God can't be around sin. And I got to say, I, I don't know where people get this because it's definitely not the Bible. In the Bible, it's actually the exact opposite. It is that sin can't be around God. There's not a problem in God that he can't be around sin. There's a problem in sin that we can't be around the presence of a holy God. That is, unless they are cleansed. Unless anything that is sin-stained is cleansed first. And that's what the rest of the Leviticus is about. In, in regards to the, the, the tabernacle and the temple, Leviticus gives clear instructions on how to clean them. How to get them ready to become a dwelling place of the living God. And what we find is, the, the process for doing that, if you read Leviticus 16, it's... Actually, it's a lot of blood. What, what happens is, is the, the priest is told to make a sacrifice. There, the sacrifice happens outside of the Holy of Holies. And that sacrifice, uh, the meat of the sacrifice is presumably eaten by the people. And then all that is taken into the Holy of Holies where God is, is the blood of the animal. And the priest is told to, to sprinkle the blood on the side and on the front of the, the mercy seat. Okay? And, and, and don't think a chair when you say mercy seat. This is more like the, the, the place of mercy. 
This is the, the, the place where mercy happens because this is where God dwells. And seven times he's to sprinkle blood there and sprinkle it on the altar. And somehow the blood cleans the altar and makes it ready so that it can receive God's presence. But still ask, why and how does blood clean? Well, we're told that in the next chapter. In Leviticus 17, it says this, for the life of the creature is in the blood. The, the act of sprinkling blood is like sprinkling life onto the altar. And he, I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. In other words, it is only life that makes atonement for life. And what he's saying here, what's going on, is that, that life, that the life of the animal, the life power, the life force, the, the word that is used, life here, the life of a creature is the, the Hebrew word nefesh. And nefesh can mean soul, it can mean body, it can mean life force, it can mean the life energy. It is nefesh. That's what happens once God breathes into Adam. He is given nefesh. He's giving power and animation, and he is alive. And it is that that is in the blood. And it is that that gives it life. Now, I have to point out that this is a radically different understanding of blood than what you or I are probably used to. Because most of us, when we think about blood, the images that come into our mind is, are actually death. This is, this is why the, the, uh, the, the story from, from Iron Man 2 makes kind of sense to the average human. Because if God bleeds, then people won't believe in him. But that's because we associate blood with death. In the Hebrew mindset, blood was a symbol of life. It was a symbol of life. And this is why you don't just sacrifice any animal. You notice that? That, that you, you actually had to sacrifice a certain type of animal. You had to ha sacrifice an animal that lived well, that was pure, that was without blemish, that the life of the animal actually mattered, not just that something had to die. And you see... The way this worked was that the life force, the life power of that animal, which was represented by the blood, then it, it, as it was poured out onto the altar, it counteracted the stain of sin that was in that because of humans. And it counteracted that, and thus it made it a place where God could dwell. What we can say is that the cleansing power of a sacrifice came from its life. The cleansing power came from its life. But I gotta admit to you, this is way different than the way that I have thought about how sacrifice works. I always kind of thought that it was the that it was somehow the death, that it somehow had the, the magical power over this, and that it was the death that cleaned. But what Leviticus seems to be saying is that it's actually the life the life of the animal. And so it wasn't just death that was clinging, but life. 
Now, if you're following my argument here, you'll remember Romans 3.25. God presented Christ as a, this sacrifice of, aster- of, of, of atonement, hilasterion, okay? This, this ceremony of cleaning. God has presented Christ as a cleaning ceremony through his blood to be received by faith. The question is, why do you and I need a cleaning ceremony? And the answer is that God wasn't done. That now God wants to dwell in you. You see, that, that God, he wasn't, he, he wasn't done with just four dwelling places on earth. In fact, he wanted more. His whole purpose has actually been to have more. To, he wanted to have dwelling places all over the place. In fact, he wanted a dwelling place in, in you, and you, and in you, and in you, and you, and up there, and over here, and all of you. He wanted to be, a, he wanted to indwell every single one of you who call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And this is why God's, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. This is why God presented Jesus as a cleaning ceremony. It's because you are the next dwelling place of God. Paul tells the Corinthian church, don't you, don't you know that you yourself are a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit? That the Spirit dwells in you. Emmanuel Faith, you are God's temple. God is dwelling in you. You are the place where heaven and earth collide. And this changes everything. But here's the key. You are not like the garden or the God-man. You are much more like this because you have been stained by sin. I have been stained by sin. And so I need to be cleansed. And that's the point. What Paul is saying here is that what we need is the life force of Jesus to counteract the stain of sin in our life. And we need that in order that we, just like the temple, just like the tabernacle, can become a dwelling place of God. The power in the blood is the life of Jesus. You see, it is the life of Jesus Not just the life he lived, it is that, but the life that he offers to you and to me. That's the power in the blood. My question for you is, do you want that that life that he offers? Or are are you okay with the life that you're living? Or do you want to be washed afresh and new in the blood of Jesus? Because it's in the blood of Jesus that we find life. Jesus' invitation to you and to me today is these words that I've always found a little confusing. He says this, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, 
you have no life. You see, what he's telling you is that I've given you this gift. I've given you the gift of, of, of my, my blood, my very self, this, the life force that I've given you, and here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to devour it. I want you to drink it in. I want you to chew on it. I want you to make it a part of yourself. Okay? I don't want you just to think about it, just to believe in it. No, I want you to incorporate it into who you are. This is what he's saying. This is what he's asking you to do. This is my power. This is my power for you, he's saying. My wonder-working power. And it's only that power that can cleanse you or I from the stain of sin. I'm reminded of a, of a story about the great evangelist John Wesley. John Wesley lived in the 1700s. And there was a day, there's a story told about him, uh, about a day after church. When he was walking home and he got robbed. Now, um, just a little advice. If you're going to rob someone, don't, don't bother with robbing a preacher. You're not going to get much money. I can attest to that, all right? And, and sure enough, that's what happened. Uh, apparently, this guy walked away with a, a couple of bucks and, uh, and, and yet unscathed by it at all. John Wesley yells back at the guy. He says, wait, stop. I have something else for you. And the thief thought, well, I didn't get much, so I might as well, might as well hear what he has to say. And he, he stops and listens to John Wesley. And John Wesley says, he says this. He says, my friend, you may live to regret the sort of, this sort of life. If you ever do, here's something to remember. And then he quotes 1 John 1, 7. He says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now the, the thief looked at him, probably a little strange, maybe rolled his eyes and walked away. Until a few years later. John Wesley was finishing a church service and sure enough, the very man that robbed him came forward, this time dressed nicely. Apparently he had become successful in business. He, he looks at John Wesley in the eyes and says, thank you. I owe it all to you. But John Wesley looks him back and says, oh no. My friend, not to me, but to the precious blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. You owe any change in your life to the precious blood of Christ that has washed you clean, that has made you able to be a place where Almighty God dwells in you. You know what happened to that guy? By faith, he trusted, he believed in the, the saving work of Jesus. And by faith, that life force of Jesus, which is represented by his blood, it counteracted the stain of sin that, that was inside of him, and he became a place where God would dwell. 
And that changed everything. And so, my friends, I want to tell you, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And it's available to every single one who will call upon the name of the Lord. Whoever receives the cleansing blood of Jesus by faith will become a dwelling place of God. You see, now for us, what we do is receive this by faith. We call out to God and say, thank you. I want to receive what you have done for me. I want to ask, is there anyone today who needs who needs this life that he offers? Is there anyone who, day, who needs to say, I, I got to stop the way I have been living? The way I was in 2019 is not who I need to be in 2020 and beyond. I want to take on this new life. And if that's you, I want to ask you, I want to ask you to, to believe on this, the power of the blood of Jesus because that power will counteract the stain of sin in your life and that you can be a, become a place where heaven and earth collide. You can be a dwelling place of almighty God. And with that, let's go and celebrate at the table this very I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward as we prepare our hearts to actually receive the very thing we've been talking about, the body and blood of Jesus. What we're going to, what we do here, we call it communion, the Lord's table. Some people call it the Eucharist. It goes by all sorts of names. But what we're going to do is take a piece of Piece of, a little piece of bread and a little bit of juice. And those things symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, in a way, this whole sermon has kind of been in preparation for what we're going to do right now. Because I want you to hear the words of Jesus. Very truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh, of the Son of Man, and drink His blood. Unless you do that, unless you drink, unless you eat, you have no life in you. Can I, can I just tell you, whoever receives the cleansing blood by faith can become a dwelling place. This is something that is, is offered to all who believe. This is, this is not uh, Emmanuel Faith's table. This is the Lord's table. And so this is open to anybody who believes but I want to tell you, and I want to plead with you, it's not too late. You can right now, you can decide to receive. You can choose to say, I'm in. And if so, I want to invite you to take and eat, take and drink. And there you will find life.